Hey everybody, and welcome to the premiere episode of Let's Talk Movies with Zachary Markley. I'm your host, uh, Zachary Markley. Hope everybody's having a great night out there today, or morning, or daytime, whenever you're actually listening to this. Uh, this is Monday evening for me here in upstate New York. A little bit about myself. I'm a filmmaker, actor, writer, musician. A little bit of everything. I've been uh, working in the film industry for close to a decade, when you count my journalism past. Uh, the most recent things I've worked on, everything's been below the line. What I mean by that is you wouldn't see me, you know, starring next to Tom Cruise or anything, or directing alongside Christopher Nolan, but I have been working on things for Netflix, for Marvel, for Disney, for NBC, you name it, pretty much. Uh, the last few things I worked on Marvel's Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. I worked on Netflix's The Devil All the Time, which just premiered a couple weeks ago on Netflix. Give that a shot if you would like. And uh, I worked on a few TV things. Uh, Ozark for Netflix. I worked on a pilot for NBC out in Savannah, Georgia. Just a little bit of everything. And uh, last year or so, I've sort of shifted gears. My wife and I have moved to upstate New York to pursue other opportunities. And I've I've decided to get more in touch with my independent filmmaking roots. When I was a kid, I always had some kind of a camera or a writing tablet or something in my hand to create some sort of story to entertain people. I had some experience doing live entertainment with some community theater and some music. I've been a musician most of my life, and that's always been one of my biggest loves in my life. So I try to incorporate that into my movies. And in my analysis, I like to examine soundtracks of movies, so we'll probably touch on that a little bit tonight as well. Speaking of, what is this show about? What's the big deal? What are we talking about? Well, as if you've listened to the trailers, I'm sure you noticed, I am a film collector, and I'm pretty proud of it. I have over 7,000 movies in my own private library, and that's always growing. It probably will never stop growing. And I figured, well... I talk about movies all day, all night anyway. May as well share that with some of y'all and see if anybody uh, could get something out of it. So, the first segment of tonight's show will be what I watched this week. I've watched about five or six different movies this week, and I thought I'd just give a quick overview of each one and then maybe pick one for my movie of the week and see what you guys think. Without further ado, here we go. And now, the movies. Okay. So this week I watched five different films, and the first of these films comes from one of my all-time favorite filmmakers ever, Mr. John Carpenter. This is his film from 1988, They Live, an action-horror sci-fi comedy? Question mark? Here's a brief synopsis. A drifter, played by Roddy Rowdy Piper known for his wrestling performances, uh, he discovers a pair of sunglasses that allow him to wake up to the fact that aliens have taken over the Earth. The film also stars Keith David and Meg Foster. It's inspired, in part, by a short story titled Eight O'Clock in the Morning, written by Ray Nelson. And that's, that's part of it. The other part of his inspiration... John Carpenter has stated many times in many interviews that this is his reaction film to Reaganomics and 
consumerism and yada, yada, yada. All of those wonderful things that were very prominent during that time. Some fun facts about this film. The famous line, I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, but I'm all out of bubblegum, comes from a little book of quotes and lines and insults that Roddy Piper had written during his wrestling days. It was sort of a way for him to intimidate his opponents, you know, as, as they do. John Carpenter liked them so much that um, he, you know, was okay with Roddy, including a couple of these in the film. This being the most famous one, I think there's maybe one or two in the film as well. Um, this scene, though, came about when they were filming, and uh, John asked Roddy to just pick one of his lines to try. And this one worked, and so it stayed in the film. Another important moment of this film is when Roddy Piper and Keith David engage in one of the longest fit fist fight scenes in movie history. They trained extensively in John Carpenter's backyard for weeks with a professional fight coordinator. Uh, this was a challenge for Keith David, being a Juilliard-trained actor and not a trained fighting actor or performer, uh, whereas Roddy Piper, of course, was a trained professional wrestler. Uh, rumor has it, by the time filming began... The two actors were actually making some pretty pretty severe contact with one another. Uh, they weren't holding so many punches as you would in a normal movie fight scene. They Live has always been one of my favorite John Carpenter films. It's garnered something of a cult following in these later decades here after the film. Of course, any John Carpenter fan will know that more times than not, his films were a failure financially um, and critically on release, but uh, there's something enduring about his work, and all these years later, everyone is finding them and loving them. For instance, I've seen this film probably a dozen times. My wife had never seen it before, and she watched it with me. She really enjoyed it. She's not much into the weird, and this movie gets kind of weird. But it's a lot of fun if you're into... Conspiracy films that maybe don't take themselves too seriously. Uh, some great one-liners, some great action scenes, and some really cool 80s sci-fi horror effects. This film has all of that and more. So Up next, we change gears a little bit and go over to the world of Disney Channel original movies with 1998's Halloween Town. Quick synopsis, when a young girl living with her good witch grandmother played by none other than Debbie Reynolds, learns she too is a witch, she must help her grandmother save Halloween Town from evil forces. So, I'm getting all of these from the IMDb. This is a little misleading, because from my viewing experience, this young girl is not, in fact, living with her good witch grandmother. She's living with her mother, who was raised to be a witch, but left that to lead a normal human non-witch existence, and she wanted that for her children, including the young girl protagonist and her siblings. Uh, this film was a lot of fun. I had never seen it before. This was my first time. I uh, 
The first fun fact, I guess, being that Disney Channel original movies somewhat eluded me for a very long time. Um, I don't ever recall having the Disney Movie Channel when I was a kid, and when we did finally get it, I think I was interested in other things or busy doing whatever preteen and teenage boys do in the middle of nowhere in Ohio. But uh, anyway, Halloween Town is directed by Dwayne Dunham. Fun fact about Dunham, he got his start in editing with a little company called Lucasfilm. He was an assistant editor on Empire Strikes Back, an assistant editor on Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then later became a lead editor on Return of the Jedi. He also got his start working with David Lynch on Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, the pilot, and then a subsequent episode of the original Twin Peaks. Halloween Town was, of course, a hit, and fans of it know that there are three other sequels. Uh, we will be covering those in future episodes of Let's Talk Movies, so stay tuned for that. I rather enjoyed this film. It was definitely geared toward children and preteens, which is fine. Uh, the, the main character on her 13th birthday around Halloween... That's when she discovers that she has witch abilities, and if she doesn't start using them, she will lose them forever. Uh, it's definitely geared for that audience, and because of that, it makes for some good quality family entertainment. Obviously, Disney knows what they're doing. They are very experienced in creating high-quality family entertainment. So, if you're looking for something a little bit less horrifying to watch with the kiddos, or just by yourself or with your partner that isn't, you know, maybe you're a scaredy cat, maybe you don't like some of the horrors, you probably won't like the next film on my list, but uh, Halloween Town's a lot of fun, and it can be a lot of fun if you've never seen it. If you saw it when you were a kid and you haven't seen it since, give it a rewatch. If you have kids, this is a fun one to introduce the spirit of Halloween to them. There's some cool little goblin and monster type effects, and uh, you can tell it's on the lower budget, but uh, it's it's fun. Next up from this past week, we watched Scream, Wes Craven's classic from 1996. A year after the murder of her mother, a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer wearing the famous ghost face mask who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game. You know, the famous line, Do you like scary movies? Well, that came from this. In the very opening sequence with Drew Barrymore, who was already a bona fide star at this point, and it was quite shocking for audiences, including my wife, who'd never seen this film, to go into this movie and have... Spoiler alert, something happened to Drew Barrymore within the first act. Of course, this film also stars Neve Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Skeet Ulrich, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, and Henry Winkler as the principal. A couple of fun facts about this movie, and then believe me, there's a lot of them. Uh, Rose McGowan dyed her hair blonde to stand out from her co-star, because they both had dark hair. She thought maybe... She wouldn't be as well-remembered, but in 2020, after the Me Too movement and everything else, I think we all remember Rose McGowan. 
Special Effects Department claims to have used 50 gallons of blood. 50 gallons of blood. I don't know if they had everybody donate blood or not. No, I'm kidding. Obviously, it was fake blood. We hope. Skeet Ulrich's character's last name is Loomis, like Donald Pleasance's character in Halloween. He played Dr. Loomis, the guy who was hunting down Mike Myers on the night of Halloween while he stalked the babysitters. Around 50 minutes into this movie, Henry Winkler, as the principal, opens up his coat closet in the principal's office to reveal a leather jacket. And either it's a replica or it is the actual leather jacket from when he played the Fawns on Happy Days. Maybe some of you listeners out there can comment in the comment section and correct me if I'm wrong. And also, director Wes Craven makes a little cameo appearance as a janitor. He interacts very briefly with Henry Winkler. And the janitor is dressed to look like another Wes Craven collection. Oh, boy. The janitor is dressed to look like another Wes Craven creation. Freddy Krueger from his seminal A Nightmare on Elm Street. As you can tell, this film has a lot of things happening, um, but on, on subsequent rewatch, I've seen this probably three or four times now, but it's been a few years, on this rewatch, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me was they they don't shy away from the twist, if you can call it a twist. And uh, I think maybe it was Wes Craven's idea to have you second-guess yourself every step of the way. And that, that plays into what this film really is, which, of course, it's a, it's a commentary on horror films, specifically the slasher genre. You have this segment at the party where they go over the rules of surviving a horror film. Um, you know, they, they try to play on the expected versus the unexpected. And uh, it works. It still works today, you know, decades later. Uh, the film was also originally called Scary Movie, but then they, they opted to go for Scream, which, of course, a few years later, a movie called Scary Movie came out, which was a parody of this film, which is almost a parody of other films. So that's just a whole lot in your brains. Do I recommend Scream? I do, to anyone who loves a good thriller, a good slasher, a good mystery, because there is a little bit of all of that in this film. Um, some great performances across the board. And, uh, you know, it's very much a 90s, early 2000s feel. I think um, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Any of those sorts of horror films that came after this, they all feel like this movie, if that makes any sense. So, if you're looking for something spooky with some self-awareness and some self self-aware humor, then uh, check out Scream. Rounding out my picks for the week are two films from Hammer Film Studios, specifically Hammer Horror. So the very first one is called The Abominable Snowman of the Himalayas, or The Abominable Snowman, as it's more, more often known. This is basically what it sounds like. A kindly English botanist and a gruff American scientist lead an expedition to the Himalayas in search 
of the legendary Yeti. Of course, the English botanist is kind because it's an English film, and the gruff American scientist is very gruff. And who better to play a gruff American scientist than Western star Forrest Tucker? Of course, the English botanist was played by Peter Cushing. This film also stars Maureen Connell. Now, this film was released in 1957, directed by Val Guest, and you'll recognize that name. He did a lot of sci-fi horror films around that time, one of my favorites being another Hammer film, When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth. As I mentioned, this stars Peter Cushing. Uh, biggest fun fact about this is this marked... Peter Cushing's debut with Hammer Films. Now, many of you will say, wait a minute, Zach. Wait a minute. What about The Curse of Frankenstein? Well, fun fact, The Curse of Frankenstein was actually filmed after The Abominable Snowman, even though Curse of Frankenstein was released first. So technically speaking, The Abominable Snowman is the very first Hammer, f Hammer horror film that Peter Cushing uh, worked on. He went on to make 22 of these kinds of films, uh, 22 of these pictures for the studio, and of course, many of these he co-starred with legendary actor Christopher Lee, who has a whole slew of fun facts, including a heavy metal album in his later years. But, um, you know, if you're looking for something with the two of them, take a look at the Horror of Dracula series or the aforementioned Curse of Frankenstein. Part two of my Hammer Horror double feature was another Forrest Tucker starring film called The Crawling Eye in the United States, but everywhere else it's known as The Trollenberg Terror. A series of decapitations on a Swiss mountainside appear to be connected to a mysterious radioactive cloud. Now, this was 1958, a year after The Abominable Snowman. It was directed by a man named Quentin Lawrence. Now, fun fact about Quentin Lawrence and the Trollenberg Terror. Uh, about a year or two before this, he created a six-part TV series. Uh, telling the same story, having the same title, The Trollenberg Terror. Rumor has it, not a single copy of this exists today. Apparently they were all lost or burned, so if any of you listeners out there have any idea what happened to the Trollenberg six-part miniseries, I'd love to know, I'm sure other listeners would love to know, or if someone out there has a copy, let us know. I'd love to see it. This film also features Janet Monroe in her first substantial role. She, I think she had one... One film credit before this, maybe a short or something, too. Uh, but this was this was her very first significant role. And, of course, she went on to star in a bunch of Disney things and, I mean, a ton of other stuff, too. But uh, her, her next really big film was the first one she did with Disney, which was Darby O'Gill and the Little People, which she starred in with Sean Connery. Oh, yes, Sean Connery. Um, then she also went on to be in the ensemble film from Disney, The Swiss Family Robinson, which is always a good um, entertaining family adventure film. 
I will say this made for a pretty entertaining double feature. Um, if you're if you claim to not be a fan of black and white cinema, and I, I I implore you and I beg you to reconsider that. Some of the finest films ever made are actually in black and white. Believe it or not, it's really cool to see how things how light reacts differently when there's no color. Um, you, you know, there's a more stark contrast a lot of times. You're not as distracted by all the color. And it, in horror, I think it makes it a little scarier somehow. I don't know what it is. If it's the aesthetic, if it's the lighting, if it's the mood, I set design, the costumes, everything. We'll get into more of that uh, next week with a pick, which I'll tease in a little bit here. But um, black and white can be very effective. And as cheesy as both of these can be when you see the monsters, because it was late 1950s, the mood is pretty darn good. Um, especially when you watch The Abominable Snowman with Peter Cushing and Forrest Tucker. They do a lot with a little here. Um, I'm, I'm imagining that a lot of this had to do with budgetary reasons, or just building up anticipation for the reveal of the Yeti. Spoiler alert, you do see the Yeti later, so stay tuned for that if you do watch the film. Um, but the, 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 both movies have interesting plots. Um, the first one, if you can overlook, you know, the, um, whitewashing of the cast, it was 1957, so that's almost to be expected. But, um, aside from that, the... The film tells a really interesting story, and it handles all of its themes really well. It's it's never offensive to the locals of the Himalayas. Um, there's there are a couple of characters who are a little offensive, but they handle it with respect overall. And not to give away anything, but the Yeti are not quite the threat that they seem to be. Riddle me this, Batman. Who is the threat? You'll have to watch and find out. Trollenberg Terror, Crawling Eye, very similar situation. The monster is very cheesy. And it's not quite the giant eyeball that we see on the American poster. There's a little bit more mass to it, a little bit more of a body. And lots of tentacles. Lots of tentacles. Thank you, H.P. Lovecraft. But um, the themes are really... It, kind of out there for 1958. I mean, we're talking decapitations. We don't necessarily see it in gory detail, but that's a good thing. Because, as we all know, the imagination fills in a lot more than what we could actually see. And Janet Monroe, as I mentioned, has one of her bigger, first bigger roles here, and she has a telepathic connection with the creatures. So that's pretty cool. Interesting themes. It could could have just been a... There's a spaceship that's landed on top of the mountain. What are we going to do? But they... They help build up the anticipation and the dread of these beasts by having Janet Monroe going... You know, having this connection and knowing, oh, it's going to strike here. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. It makes for a really interesting film. So check those two out. Well, 
we're almost there to my movie of the week. Hang tight. We're going to have a quick little ad break. When we come back, I'll let you know my pick for the week, what we're going to talk about next week, and some closing remarks on everything today. So stay tuned. In this world, we are all unique. Everyone has a story to tell and something that makes them stand out. Now more than ever, it is important to have someone you can count on. Podcaster, activist, comedian, and my fraternity buddy, Nick Sorensen, is the host of BuddyCast, a show where he interviews his friends and celebrity figures and finds out what makes them who they are. I was lucky enough to be a guest on his show this past weekend, and I'm honored to have shared the screen with celebrities like Sinbad, Danny Woodburn, Patch Adams, and more. BuddyCast is on Anchor, Spotify, and Facebook for the video versions of the show. Now go be somebody's buddy today. And we're back. So, I watched five different films this week. Starting with They Live, Halloween Town, Scream, and then my double feature from Hammer Films, The Abominable Snowman and The Crawling Eye or The Trollenberg Terror, depending on where in the world you're from. This was a hard one because all of these films on their own merits are very enjoyable. I mean, John Carpenter is one of my favorite directors. Of course, again, he co-wrote the screenplay, co-wrote the, the soundtrack, which is a lot of fun. Check it out. Halloween Town is just lighthearted, family entertainment. Makes you kind of chuckle. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Scream makes you chuckle for different reasons, and then makes you question your whole reality because it's kind of violent, and you're like, why am I laughing at this? But it's also very entertaining. And then, of course, you have the Hammer Horror Double Feature, which, yes... They're black and white. Yes, they're in the 50s. The monster's a little cheesy. But guess what? They're a lot of fun. But that's not the one I'm picking. I'm, I have to go with John Carpenter again. He's my favorite director. They Live has endured all this time. And it seems like every year it's still relevant, if not becoming more relevant. Don't read too much into it, though. We don't need... Any more conspiracy theorists out there? But uh, you you couldn't go wrong with any of these films on this list. Again, they live. If you're into '80s kind of yeah, take that authority kind of movies. Halloween Town. If you want to hang out with your with your kids or with your family, or just want something lighthearted from the guy who edited some of David Lynch's. Very much not lighthearted stuff. Uh, Wes Craven, go with his movie Scream if you want to dissect and make fun of horror films, especially slashers. Oh, I forgot to mention Matthew Lillard, who is one of the uh, supporting characters of this, went on to play Shaggy in the two live action, the first two live action Scooby Doo movies, and he voiced the character. For almost 20 years. Like, wow. How cool is that? Went on to voice the character for almost 20 years. How cool is that? And of course, finally, the two Hammer Horror films, Abominable Snowman and The Crawling Eye. They're both a lot of fun. Again, don't take them too seriously. They're not, you know, 
the greatest films of all time. But if you're looking for something with the spooky atmosphere, but isn't going to keep you up all night, Abominable Snowman and The Crawling Eye are both a lot of fun. So that would be my backup, I guess. So there you have it. They Live is my movie of the week. Again, I could have gone with any of these films. They're all a lot of fun. So if you get a chance to watch any of them, please go do so. Sign off in the comments if you have anything else to add. If you think I made a huge mistake in picking They Live, or if you think that some of my facts were wrong, I'd love to be educated. That's why we're all here. I'm here to share some of my knowledge, and you guys are here to share some of your knowledge, and we're just all going to be a movie knowledge blending machine, and it's going to be fantastic. Next week, we have some more John Carpenter coming. I also go over Mike Flanagan's newest show on Netflix and some of the works that inspired it. Uh, a little bit of Tim Burton coming and mm, might throw in a few other things, including some tips on how to make your own short film just in time for Halloween. Again, I'm Zachary Markley on Let's Talk Movies. Thanks for joining me. Now get out there and watch some movies. <laughs>